and welcome to another episode of Relationship Alive. This is your host, Neil Satin. As you've no doubt heard by now, we have had such a wide-ranging number of guests on the show who are all here to talk about the way to integrate science with the best way to have a relationship, the way to integrate spirit with the best way to have a relationship, the way to integrate your heart and your emotion and your physiology and all of that. And I'm so excited today because with us, we have Haiti Schleifer, who is the creator of Encounter-Centered Couples Therapy. And the reason that I'm so excited is because I found out about Haiti's work because a friend of mine had was looking into doing an intensive with some therapists and he's like, could you just check them out? Because, I, you know, I trust your opinion on this. So I went and read their website and uh, what I read fascinated me because it was everything that we've been talking about on the podcast and that I'm trying to synthesize for you. And and it just got me really fired up. And I was like, well, who like who are these people and who are they learning from? And that led me directly to Haiti's doorstep and encounter centered couples therapy. So I'm, this is going to be a really amazing conversation for me. And, uh, and also I'm excited for you because we're going to perhaps revisit some of the things that we've had on the podcast, but in a way that I think brings it all together succinctly and in a practical fashion and where even things you've heard before, you're going to have a completely new understanding that transforms you. And Haiti talks about level three learning. And my goal for this podcast um, is that this is a level three kind of environment for you. And I'll let Haiti address what that even means. So without further ado, um, I'm, I should mention we will have a detailed show guide for today's episode. You'll be able to download that if you go to neilsatin.com slash encounter, or um, you can simply text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions. And I'll send you a link to download this show guide or uh, all the other show guides for the Relationship Alive podcast. Okay, I think that's all the business I have to take care of, and I'm just so excited to introduce you to Haiti Schleifer, uh, creator of Encounter-Centered Couples Therapy. Haiti, thank you so much for being here with us today on Relationship Alive. My pleasure. I enjoyed your introduction. <laughs> Great. Well, we're off to a good start. Yes, and I just really wanted to say two things. One is about the word alive, and I think... You gave a very good name to your program because it really is all about being fully alive in our relationships. Uh, the aliveness, the joyful, relaxed aliveness in connection is really our goal. And what's really interesting is that more and more research shows that we are wired, we are born to be joyfully relaxed and alive in connection. So I like the word alive. It fits what I teach. The other thing I wanted to say is about level three learning. And I'd like to start with that because it's such an important concept in terms of really what can occur today. And so 
It is a theory that I don't know who put forth. It's called the, the four levels of learning. And the first one that the theory talks about is level zero. So there is level zero learning where you've heard something, you've read something, you've been part of something. And when somebody says, well, what did you learn? You don't know. <laughs> you have no idea what you learned. And many experiences that we have are level zero learning. Even though we were present and we took notes and we even got interested, we don't know what we learned. Then there is level one learning. It's learning a concept, learning an idea, learning a skill, and finding it really interesting and then going home and having no way of integrating what we just really found interesting. And we just don't know, what do I do with this? Then there's level two, and that's an important level because we do learn a concept, we learn an idea, we learn a skill, we're excited about it, and when we take it home, it makes a difference. We can integrate the idea, the concept, the skill into our current life, and it really changes things. Level three learning is in another dimension. Level three learning is transformational. It's like there's a before and there's an after. And when somebody says, well, something has shifted in you and you go, yeah, I know. I don't even know exactly how it occurred, but I've been introduced to an idea, a skill, a concept, and I feel like I am changed. Not my life has changed, but I am changed. I'm a different person. I now see the world from a very new place, and that's level three. And so it's not about change, it's about transformation. And there's a real distinction there. And everything that I do with couples, with students, is about that level three learning that requires then a complete engagement. 100% engagement right here and now, because there is absolutely never level three transformation unless everyone involved gets engaged at 100% right here and right now. And so I would like to start by telling you how I do my work. Please. Because when I get up in the morning and I'm going to meet a couple and I do a two-day intensive with them, I get out of bed already engaged. Because if I don't get out of bed absolutely happy to be alive, I have no business going to meet a couple whom I want to assist in waking up to their full aliveness. So I have a commitment to step out of bed and really be excited and grateful that I'm breathing that I'm here, actually, that I even have a husband who's there next to me, to whom I can give a big hug and kiss. I can go to the mirror and look at myself and go, I am back. <laughs> this I am back is a big one as part of what I am going to be transferring to the couple. 
Now I go to my room an hour early because I'm going to prepare the space. And when I watched you prepare yourself to say hello to the people you say hello to, I saw you take a look of water. I saw you close your eyes. I saw you ground yourself. I saw you take a real moment to get fully, fully present to your first hello. And then when you said the hello, it had all of you in it. And that's really what I'm talking about, just exactly what you did. I come to the room to actually really prepare that space, to make it into a sanctuary, really. I clean the place if it needs cleaning. I look at the plants, and if there is anything dead on them, I cut it off, and I caress the leaves, and I make sure the plant is happy, because with sad plants, no couple can be happy. I then do something that I'm going to just tell you and whoever is listening, but nobody else. It's a big secret. (laughs) I bless the chairs. I put my hands on the chair and I close my eyes and I let the vessel that I am really speak. May you find joy today or may you find alignment today or may you find the deepest understanding today or may you find a sense of delight in being alive today, whatever comes through me, I put that in the chair, including my chair, because I really feel that filling the space with good thoughts, prayer, blessing, gratitude already shifts what goes on in the room. And then I sit down and I prepare two books for the couple, beautiful books with beautiful pens, and I prepare a beautiful book for myself with a beautiful pen, and I sit down and I look at the chair that are are really facing me, and I know that who's going to sit there are two people who may have lost their connection to their essence. It could be that surviving in the relationship they've survived in, they just don't know anymore who they really are the magnificent, radiant, exciting, funny, delightful, creative, ego, I could go on and on and on, person that they are and who they, and that their partner is, and that they may have lost touch with exactly that. And that is what's going to get reestablished, is this possibility of essence-to-essence connection, which is called the encounter. And the encounter was named by the philosopher Martin Buber, who is the one who I think the very best knew how to describe this magical connection that we are capable to have as humans, which is called the encounter. And I know that is what I'm going to guide the couple to achieve is the essence to essence, human essence to human essence encounter. And so I'm looking at the chairs, knowing that who's coming into the room may not be the person in touch with their essence. They may be in what I call their reactive survival dance. That's why they're coming to have an intensive. But I already know that in there, 
is the essence of the person. And I make a real distinction between the survival pattern where we cope in isolation and the essence of the person where we are just fully alive, passionate, vital in who we really are and the potential of revelation of more and more of the dimensions of our beingness, which resides in our essence. So I look at the chairs and I already know that who's going to sit there are these two magnificent essences. They may not know it. I know it. And so I sit for a while. The room has been completely cleaned. The little books are waiting. My book is waiting. And I am now closing my eyes just the way you did to ground myself and be fully ready to welcome the couple. They come in at nine o'clock and I am so happy to see them because I've prepared myself since I got out of bed to welcome them. And so I welcome them with every bit of excitement that I can possibly muster in terms of that first encounter with them. Now you can imagine, that for many people, that is much too much energy and much too much warmth and much too much delight. It is. <laughs> but you know what? It's okay because I am not going to join them. They are going to join me. As a young psychotherapist, I learned to join the people I meet where they are. Now, as an old woman, which I adore being, I do not join people, they join me. And we are going on a journey north. We are going to go in the direction of where full aliveness resides. And so my welcoming of them is already a sign, especially when they're terribly uncomfortable with it, that we're going somewhere else. We are not going to go where you reside right now. We're going where a lot of energy and a lot of excitement about life resides. And then the couple comes in and they sit down and I say nothing. I look at them. I look at each one of them. And I take my time to make eye contact because I don't want to put anything in the space between us that is chatty or superficial or just how are you or how is your journey because that is not what I teach. I teach how to honor the space between and so I'm going to honor it. The first way that I honor it is just by, by looking at them. And for some people, again, that's quite uncomfortable. It's not comfortable to sit in silence with somebody really just breathing and looking at you. But I am going to teach them to do that with each other later. They're going to just breathe and they're going to look at each other and they're going to be there with one another in that rich silence of the soul. And so I'm already living it with them. They will later learn to do this because it's a wonderful skill. You could even call it meditation in connection where you just sit quietly with another 
And we know how to do this with a little baby, you know, with a little baby. We know how to just sit and look inside of the face of this little being and just breathe and smile and be and let emotions come up. We do this very naturally with a little baby, but we've stopped knowing how to do this with each other. And my first connection with a couple will be exactly that. And when somehow the moment reveals itself to ask the question I want to ask them, then I ask that question. And here's the question. What is your wildest dream for your relationship? What is it you really, really long for? What is the deepest aspiration that you would like to put on the horizon today, not as a goal, but really as a dream? What is the direction that we need to take so that your relationship can be the realization of your deepest longings? And then I say to them, Each one of you gets three wishes, which I will write down so that we know what lives in your heart. And then I'm quiet again because it takes a while for us to really reach deep inside of us to find what lives there as an aspiration. And then when one of them starts, I now take note And I'm going to listen very generatively. I'm going to listen deeply. I'm going to listen soulfully to what lives in the person's heart. And people say very inspiring things. Now, my only guidance there is to teach the difference between the language of deficit and the language of abundance. Because dreams are spoken in the language of abundance. And sometimes we'll dream in the language of deficit. I really don't want that bad sex anymore. Well, that's great, but that's the language of deficit. What's the language of abundance? Well, I'm dreaming of passionate, juicy sex. Yes, that is a dream and that's spoken in the language of abundance. And so I listen very thoughtfully to the three wishes. And what's really interesting is that sometimes, rarely, a couple has incompatible dreams. It happens. And when that occurs, clearly that needs to be addressed in a journey that we are going to take together because their dreams really have come to be incompatible. They don't fit together anymore. It takes me a while to listen. It takes about an hour and a half to listen to six wishes. But if if at the end of that time, the dreams don't fit, we have a specific task and it is to see what has occurred, you know, that makes these dreams incompatible. But that's a rare occurrence. In the couples that come to see me, I don't know, maybe it's a special population. People come to see me because they really want to do the work. Their dreams are usually beautiful building blocks of what a truly connected, intimate, soulful, deep, alive relationship would look like. 
And so I listen to these six dreams. And when they're done telling them to me, I ask them if they have children and I have written to them one thing, bring pictures of your children. And if you don't have children, bring picture of your dog. And if you don't have a dog, bring pictures of your cat or your bird <laughs> or whoever it is who lives with you because it is extraordinary to see how the, the beings that live with us know the space between us and are cognizant and are basically watching. And if our space is clear and fertile and fun and joyful, these beings are happy to be on that soil. And if our space is tense, difficult, conflictual, in crisis, these beings have a hard time with the soil that they live on. And that's why I asked them to bring me the picture of whoever it is that lives with them. Now, some people don't have a cat, a dog, and then, of course, that's how it is. But many people do. And that's the point where I asked for the picture. And we put the picture there. And I asked for the name, you know, of the children, the bird, the cat, the dog. And I asked for a quality, an essential quality of that being. Because in saying that essential quality, people get connected with how they connect to the essence of their child or their dog or their cat or their bird. And I then say, this is a very important task you just did in putting the picture there because that's who's watching you. And that's who's going to listen to the story I'm going to tell right now. And then I tell a story and I say, once upon a time, a boy was born, a girl was born, whoever the couple is. And I tell the story that I began to glean from listening to the dreams because a lot about their whole history comes out in just putting out your deepest aspiration. And I say, then that couple landed in the office of a woman called Heidi, and she said, what is your wildest dream? And here is what they said. And I read the dream that they put on the horizon. And what's really amazing, Neil, is that in just doing that, telling the story and telling the dreams in that way in the third person with their children watching, with their dog watching, with their bird watching, people often are moved to tears because what they've put on the horizon is so touching. You know, it's lived there sometimes for such a long time in the underground and they've not named that level of good living in a long, long time. And so we just take a moment to really feel how beautiful these dreams really are and how much each one of them deserves as a human soul to live in that dimension of being. And then I have them take their little books and I have them write down four things. One, what they learned. So learning is something I did not know. 
When I came in here, I absolutely didn't know it, but I learned it. The second thing is something I relearned. So I knew it at some level, but now I know it much deeper. Something that surprised me, I just couldn't believe it. Here it just jumped out at me. I got totally surprised by it. And then something that I'm intrigued by. I want to study it more. I want to deepen my understanding of this. And what's very interesting is that I have been with this couple now for an hour and a half approximately. And I've done everything I just told you. And the four things they write down are so inspiring because just out of the possibility to speak three deep longings and have them heard profoundly, have them put into the language of abundance, this is what I really want rather than this is what I don't want or I want less of, this is what I would love to live. Just from doing that, people learn something profound about life. People relearn something profound about life. They are surprised by something that they actually spoke. They're surprised by their own, their own eloquence, their own languaging, their own richness. They are surprised by their own soulfulness and they are intrigued to continue to study something that has occurred now in this time. And that's my first step and I will never go further till on the horizon are six dreams that together are like a poem. Once you read them, it's like either a poem or a prayer. <laughs> One of the two. I have a question for you. Um, so this already sounds like a gorgeous experience for a couple. And, and I'm even imagining uh, people listening being inspired to go and with their partner or even if they're single on their own to really say, okay, what is my wildest dream for relationship? Yes. And that was an important distinction, I thought, too, that you're not asking them, like, what's your wildest dream for yourself? It's what's your wildest dream in relationship? Right. And um, and then the question that came up for me was, what about the feelings of grief that may come up for a couple in that moment where right. they're at where they're simultaneously touched by that discovery and where they're also feeling the the gravity of not having been on that path. How do you hold that for them? Right. Your question is wonderful because it's an inevitability. When you go to the horizon and you look at how it should be, could be, would be, Inevitably, you're holding the tension between how it is and how it could be. And one of the wonderful uh, practices of the heart is to be able to hold the tension of how it is and how it should, could, would be, and live the emotions that reveal themselves when that occurs. And so I can simply 
name that, you know, when the grief comes up and one or both people are really sometimes sobbing, you know, sometimes even sobbing. I can say, you know, this is such a natural event, this holding the tension between what has been and how it is and what could be, would be, you dream of, can be, and to just feel it. And we take the time. That's why it takes so long. It takes about an hour and a half, sometimes two, to actually put six wishes on the horizon because so much emotion comes to the surface and gets released, felt and released. And what's really interesting is that when a couple does feel in that way, often a hand will reach out to another hand. And even a couple that hasn't really touched or reached out to each other will very naturally, because the body has its truth, very naturally reach out and hold hands or look into each other's eyes with a new level of compassion that hasn't been there. So just that first step already does something natural, which is how we reach out to each other when we are authentically vulnerable. So yeah, it's Mm. a part of Yeah, yeah, and uh, there's a a reflection that came up for me too, which is that I think sometimes that tension can launch us into survival brain, you know, like it because it it has the potential to create the shame of not achieving or not living into that future. Um, And I I feel like a good cure for that is reflecting on, well, look where we are. And and even in the case of a couple that's there in your your office, they've taken that step to be there, which if you look backwards, is a step in the direction of those dreams. Exactly. And that's a, a piece that they learn. Sometimes a learning is, we have just put on the horizon the legacy we truly want to give our children. You see, we've just put there that which we want them to live. So there's learnings and relearnings that go exactly in the direction of finally have languaged what truly lives in me when I'm at my best, you know? So uh, all that already is now part. We've taken a step and we've already moved in the direction of what is aliveness, relaxed joyfulness in connection. Mm, Yeah, and there's something so moving for me too in, uh, yeah, when you articulated that this is the legacy that you're creating, particularly for your children, if you have children. I have two young children there, um, soon to be eight and ten, and I probably have more children on the horizon. Um, That, yeah, that has a huge impact on me. And and I'm in a situation that's really good, you know, even though I'm divorced and I'm about to be remarried. In fact, tomorrow we're celebrating our engagement with a big party with with people. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, so, and even though I feel like in general things are good, I think what calls out to me is the power of the wildest dream in relationship vision 
I try to live there a lot because like that's what I'm doing with this podcast and etc yeah. but um but yeah when I see it in terms of my children and in terms of what I imagine they will be able to hold as possible exactly that puts a whole new spin on it for me because I don't want them to have to listen to my podcast to think of what's possible I want them to look to their daddy yes you know yes yes exactly right so also you know if I never did something else with a couple I've already created the soil for level three learning because just from that activity, there is, and you can see it visibly on people's faces and their body, there's been some transformation there. There's been also brain functioning that hasn't occurred. There's the brain functioning that allows the brain to be innovative and to create images that you haven't lived up to the now. So, there is already in the room level three learning. Now, I have a very interesting step I take with a couple. And it is that I want them to learn a guiding principle. And the guiding principle I want them to learn is that what disconnects us every time, again and again and again, is our reactive survival dance. And what connects us again and again and again are three invisible connectors that I'm going to teach to them. And I am not going to name them now, but I'm going to tell you how I create this learning of the guiding principle. And I say to them, I would like to teach you a guiding principle. And in order for me to do that, I want you to do something that I don't want you to ever do again the way you're going to do it. But this time, I do want you to do it, but only for 13 minutes, one, three. And after 13 minutes, I'm going to say, stop. And when I say stop, you're going to stop it. And then together, we're going to create this guiding principle. And so what I want you to do is I want you to have your toughest, ugliest, most embarrassing, most loaded, most terrible conversation. The one couples have again and again and again, and it never goes where you want it to go. And it's just awful. But I only want you to have it for 13 minutes. And when you, when 13 minutes are up, I'm going to say stop. And then you stop even if you're in the middle of a word or you're winning for the first time or whatever <laughs> goes on there, you stop. And then together, the two of us and I are going to look at a guiding principle, which from then on really is going to guide our work and ideally is going to guide your life. So the couple turns to each other. And what's very interesting about that hand that comes down is that when we are children, there's never a hand that comes down when the bad stuff occurs in our family. And we would love a big hand to come down from heaven and go stop. And it stops. It stops in the middle of a word. It stops in the middle. Even if one is finally like on top of the situation, it stops. And that hand basically turns a corner for our family. You know, as kids, we don't have that hand. And it's very interesting that the hand I put down after 13 minutes has a meta meaning also for the child within 
the couple where suddenly there is such a hand and it's no matter how bad the conversation turns into and how toxic the atmosphere becomes, the hand comes down and a smiling face, warm and delighted with you, says, stop and now let's look at a guiding principle. So just by itself, that piece is so profoundly meaningful. Now, couples can very easily enter the toxic dance, the reactive survival dance. You know, all it takes is a person say, have that conversation, and couples just enter it. And you know it. We all know that conversation. It's awful. And it's always about the same thing, money and sex and children and, and you know, who's right. And I mean, it, it's just always the same. The content really is boring. And not only is it boring, but it's international. In every culture, couples have the same exact <laughs> conversation in the same way. You know, it's like if you're a Chinese couple, you still have that. You're an Israeli couple, you do have it. You're a French couple. It's amazing. The 13 minutes are exactly the same. What occurs when a relationship is creative and innovative is not the same, is unique and beautiful. But the reactive survival dance, it's a club. It's the club of the surviving couples and every couple belongs to the cup club. And that's what's so nice is it's not a problem. It's just an automatic brain function. So couples are hijacked by the dance very easily. But after 13 minutes, I say stop. And then I say something very interesting. I say, turn to me and I want you to imagine that you've been to a restaurant and you know how we people watch in restaurants and you saw this couple for 13 minutes, but somebody whispered in your ear, they come from another planet. And that planet is called Wygelia. And in Wygelia, they speak Wygelian, so you don't speak the language, so you haven't heard a word that that couple says. All you can tell is their body language, their facial expression, the tone of their voice, the space between them. That's all you can really get. It's like in an airplane when you see a couple in front of you and you can't hear what they say, but you really can tell what's going on between them. And we're going to describe this Wygelian couple. Now, what's really amazing is that couples have done this reactive dance for years, but they've never observed it as extraterrestrials that landed in a restaurant. And so they describe perfectly with amazing metaphors and poetry and incredible insight that which has been their dance. The man and woman are behind a big wall. The man is knocking at the wall, but he's getting smaller and smaller. The woman's getting bigger and bigger. She's banging at the wall. She's looking through a hole in the wall. The wall is getting thicker. The man is disappearing. The woman becomes like a giant. Whatever the the, the uh, dynamic is, the couple actually sees it. And what's so empowering for them is that it's not them. It's a couple of extraterrestrials called Wygelians. And they can then, with the brain function, which is called externalizing, they can observe the very thing that has hijacked them for years. And when we have the description, which always becomes funny, like one of them will say, 
that couple needs help. My goodness. The other will say, do you think that couple is married? They must be married. Nobody does that in a restaurant unless they are married. I mean, it becomes very funny. And I will say, does the waiter come close to that table? No way. If the waiter comes close, then he's going to get clobbered. You know, like it becomes very funny. And when it is funny, which takes about half an hour, it becomes funny. That's when I can say, okay, let me reread to you about this Wygelian couple. And I can say, this couple is not you. I met you in your dreams. I know who you are. We, you know, there's, there's no way you can even confuse this Wygelian couple with who you are. Because you came out when you spoke from your deepest longings. This is just who hijacks you. There is a couple of Wygelians that somehow you gave room and board in your house. <laughs> and they hijack you and your kids, when they show up, don't even know who's there because their mom and dad aren't there anymore. Here is a couple of Wygelians. And you know what's so funny is that one couple went home and told their children about the Wygelians and the children made a drawing of these really scary extraterrestrials and they put them on the refrigerator and every time their parents were hijacked by the Wygelians, the kids would take them to the refrigerator look who you are being <laughs> now you know because the kids know the distinction between the Wygelians and their parents so once that distinction has been made between the reactive survival dance, which is coping in isolation, which occurs in every single human, occurs in every nation. We know it. We're watching it. You know, the survival dance is what the planet has suffered from and a couple has suffered from. And we make the distinction between that reactive survival and the dance of life in connection. I can say to the couple, are you willing to hire me as your teacher of the dance of life in connection? Because the contract hasn't yet been made. The contract is made when the couple is willing to learn from me, their guide, how to do the dance of connection, the, the dance of life in connection, as opposed to coping in isolation, the hijack. And if they choose me, and 99.9% of couples choose me. But you know, there are couples who are so rooted in that coping that thinking of somebody de deliberately and consciously leading you north, really somewhere else, and I explain, you will be developing the muscle, the relational muscle, for you to say no to the Wygelians. Right now, I'm the one saying no to the Wygelians. But when I am your guide, you will be developing the muscle, the brain muscle, new neural pathways in your brain that allow you as a couple to actually laugh at the Wygelians and say, oh, no, you're not hijacking us anymore. We're not <laughs> taking you to the restaurant. You forget it. And ultimately fire them, ultimately have them not live with you anymore. That's what my guidance can give you. Are you willing to take my guidance? And that's a contract because, you see, I'm going to be teaching them 
to really step into their essence and survival and essence are so different from each other it is a very big challenge to enter essence you really have to be authentic and vulnerable and and open yourself you to to that which you have resisted your entire life so that's a biggie and the contract has to be there and 99.9 couple or percent of the couples say yes absolutely there is there's sometimes no well then we don't have a contract then i don't do my work you know i only do my work when we can move north together yeah and that's yeah so I hear you talking about the commitment that the couple is making to the work with you. Yes. And, and I feel like implicit in that is the commitment that they're making to each other. And it may not be to each other specifically, but it's to the process of right. we are going to, uh, to evict the Wygelians. Yes, we're evicting the Wygelians. <laughs> and, um, and, and then it led me to, um, because what I had observed in that interview that I mentioned was you're talking about crossing the bridge. And so hopefully we get a chance to talk about that right. with whichever couple member is ambivalent to really meet them in that place. And that's something that I feel is a really powerful distinction that you make because having been um, exposed to Imago and the, the idea of creating space around communication where you honor sender and receiver, etc. Um, people on the show have heard our episode with Harville and Helen and so they know hopefully what I'm talking about. If not, I'll make sure you have the link in the show notes. Um, but what I like about the distinction that you're making has to do with the, that concept of host and visitor and how the bridge creates that. And, um, and so I'm, yeah, I'm hoping we can dive into right. that so Let that people, know. yeah, go ahead. That's exactly what they're hiring me is to be their teacher of this guiding principle that what connects you are three invisible connectors. And that's when I give the couple a little lecturette, which I'm going to give you right now, which is that there are three invisible connectors that if we honor them, if we embrace them, if they become part of our daily life, we will experience connection at all times. And what are they? So the first invisible connector is the space, the relational space that we live in. And this is, again, uh, this uh, uh, philosopher, Martin Buber, who said our relationship live in the space between us. It doesn't live in you. It doesn't live in me. It doesn't even live in the dialogue between us, which is our communication. It lives in a space we share. And what he says about that space is that space is sacred. And what he's saying is that unless you and I really honor the space between us as sacred, we will not enter the zone of the encounter with each other because we may have good dialogue and even good communication, but the space that we live in will not have that quality of sanctity and safety and 
comfort and richness that a space can have. It's another dimension altogether. And what Martin Buber says about that space is that when two people meet authentically, God is the electricity that surges between them. Now, you don't have to call it God. You can call it anything you want, mystery, spirit, whatever you want to call it. But it's a dimension that's very different than our usual dimension of living. And Martin Buber says, if you honor that space, the Shekhinah, which is the Hebrew for the divine spirit, descends and I say then miracle occurred. You know, I have watched miracles occur that have nothing to do with my guidance and nothing to do with a couple even, but with that space that they honor between them that then creates what it does, which is of a of a different dimension. So that's the first thing. Now, I can't explain it the way I just told you to every couple. I will explain it more simply when I feel like there won't be a response to, let's say, the dimension I just described. But it doesn't matter. I can say to the couple, you go to a home where there's just been a terrible fight and the people love you and they welcome you warmly and they say, hello, I'm so glad you're here. But you can tell the space is toxic. The warm welcome does not change the fact that you are plugged in to the relational space, which right now is toxic. And so there's a disconnect for you between the warm welcome you just received and the toxicity of the space. So I can explain the space in simple ways, but I can also explain it if people are responsive to that in the way I just did about the mysterious dimension that occurs when you honor that space. The second invisible connector is a bridge. And the reason we have to have a bridge is because when people are attracted to each other, they are incompatible. They have a totally different world. As a matter of fact, if people are not incompatible, let's say you met the same person you are, well, then one of you is superfluous, right? <laughs> I mean, clearly. Right. So you need to have two very different people. And therefore, it's important to be able to cross the bridge to the world of your partner. A good relationship is bilingual, where you speak your language, but you also speak the language of your partner. You've learned that language. You've learned that culture. You've learned that pace, which is very different than yours. You learned the rhythm and music of your partner. You learned when the sun rises and sets in that world, very different than in yours. And so that bridge is the second invisible connector that has to be honored and welcomed daily. And then finally, it's that zone of the encounter that Martin Buber talks about, which again, doesn't just connect with couples, but for example, you can be in nature and you can have an encounter with nature where suddenly it isn't you and nature anymore, but it's oneness where you suddenly feel so touched and inspired by creation itself. Or you can have it with music where you're listening to music and the music just becomes you and you become the music. We've all had that experience. But even a sports team can play in the zone of the encounter where suddenly they play in a way, in a magical way. They are now flowing with each other in ways they don't even think about. It's the zone of the encounter and they win. Even if they're not the best team, they'll win. 
So, you know, there are many ways to describe the zone of the encounter, and that's the third invisible connector is creating the conditions by honoring the space and crossing the bridge, creating the conditions for the encounter. And as a couple, if we create that condition often enough, slowly we begin to live in the zone of the encounter with each other. At first, it's one encounter and another encounter and another one. But slowly, we create enough neural pathways in our brain to be able to live in the zone of the encounter with each other and to not have these Wygelians disturb it at all anymore. And that's a really blessed state that I didn't even know existed, but having had enough encounters with my own husband, Yuri, <laughs> we are now living in the zone of the encounter. So that lecturette at the level that I can give it is the one I give the couple. And then they look again into their little journals to look at a learning, a relearning, a surprise, and an intrigue that comes from meeting the Wygelians saying stop to the Wygelians, describing the Wygelians, and deciding to develop the relational muscle for a real relationship in which they embrace three invisible connectors. And then when they've done that, I give them three metaphors, which I'm going to give you now. One is the metaphor of the art of hosting. How do I take you into my world? How do I open myself up to you in a transparent way, in an authentic, genuine way, where you can see me and I can see myself in a whole new way because I've never looked at myself the way I'm now looking at myself because I've invited you into me. That's called into me see, you know, intimacy. <laughs> into me see, the art of visiting. How do I leave my world and allow it to be the past? Because when I cross the bridge and I'm in the middle of that bridge, my whole world is the past. How do I live in the present with you? How do I come over to bring totally new eyes into your world? You know, the French poet uh, Marcel Proust said, life is not about the discovery of new landscapes. It's about seeing the old one with new eyes. And this is really what the visitor does. Comes with new eyes, a new heart, a new, the present, in the now, seeing the partner each time as a new landscape. And so the art of visiting is the art of living in the present with the other. Not bringing any of the past, which is past, really being able to discover. And so that's the art of visiting. And the third metaphor is the metaphor of the neighborhoods. So imagine you, Neil, as a big, big world expanding because you're always learning and always discovering and always embracing the new. So it's an expanding world and it's filled with neighborhoods. So there are precious neighborhoods, and those neighborhoods are the ones where you feel alive and passionate and vital and where you say, well, that's me. Then there are tough neighborhoods. Some of them you're even scared to go in by yourself. You and they live in your own world. There are, those are tough neighborhoods. And then there are neighborhoods you don't even know. They live in your world, but you've never been there. 
that's the mystery of our essence that, you know, we can always reveal new neighborhoods that actually live inside of us. There are childhood neighborhoods where we're still a child because we'll always be a child there. It's our child neighborhood, um, many of them. So there are many, many neighborhoods to visit. And I tell the couple, what we're going to do together is we're going to develop the art of hosting and the art of visiting into the various neighborhoods that constitute your world. And the first one we're going to visit is a precious neighborhood because in the precious neighborhoods are your strength and resources. And it's a very good idea to first visit where your strengths and resources live because you're going to need them to go to ultimately the toughest neighborhood. And that's really the idea is to become such a good visitor and such a good host that we can do what I'm going to describe to you right now. It is unravel the survival knot. Every couple has got a survival knot where my toughest neighborhood meets your toughest neighborhood, where my greatest need meets your toughest defense, the impasse of our relationship. And we need to become such good hosts and such good visitors that we can ultimately together visit the toughest neighborhood and open up that knot where I then, where there is energy flowing and we can become creative in terms of how we want our relationship to be. And if we read our dreams, we'll notice that that knot had to be opened up in order for us to be creative enough to live into what we can name, but not yet live if we are stuck with a survival knot. Am I making sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And so the, the distinction that I love is, I think, in that notion of sender-receiver, that, that it, there's something that gets lost um, because, like, if I'm the sender, so I'm trying to communicate something, um, it's like I'm sending it into you. And right. so I love turning that around so that it's really I'm inviting you into my world. Yes. And so yes. not only am I inviting you, but it's like, how do I become a host so that you actually want to know my world? Right, right. And how do I allow myself when I tell you the most vulnerable things to let you in there and let you stay there? Sometimes as a guide, I'm noticing the host is not allowing, even though they're speaking, not allowing the other one in. And I will freeze everything and say, look who's with you. Let them in here, exactly here, exactly here. And often when the host allows the sender in, the, the visitor in there, the host begins to sob. There, there's a place that was a bit defended to their own feelings. But when the other one can really arrive there with their good eyes and their compassion and their generative listening, whoops, it opens up in its deepest, in its deepest core. So the hosting is a very vulnerable activity because I'm letting you come into me. And the visiting is a very vulnerable activity because you are ultimately 
opening yourself up to all the layers of humanity that your partner is. And you're opening yourself up to their bigness, to their multi-layeredness, to their richness. And you must encompass that with your bigness. And so sometimes I have to guide the visitor to dare, to dare, to stick around, to open to the essence of their partner. How do you encourage the visitor to release their agenda for the visit so that they can be present like that? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. Well, it starts with the acceptance of the invitation. So if I say to you, Neil, I'm inviting you to cross the bridge and come to me, come to me. I would like to share a precious neighborhood of my world with you. As a matter of fact, that's what I'm doing. I'm really describing to you a precious neighborhood of my world, which is teaching. When I say that, I will guide you to to say thank you for the invitation, but to take quite a while to accept it. Because when you accept that invitation, you accept to leave the world called Neil with everything you know and everything you're comfortable with and everything you even assume about me and everything we've lived together, you are making a decision to be a new Neil, a Neil that never existed before because you're going to come over that bridge in the present not knowing me. And that decision is very big. The decision to be a beginner's mind, you know, an empty cup, like the cup of tea for the Buddhists, really a beginner's mind. That's a very big decision to take. And I will guide you to take the time to really, when you say, I accept your invitation, that you are accepting to be a humble learner. Now, when you accept to be a humble learner, I'll watch you. And as you cross the bridge, if there is something you bring from your world, I will freeze and say, oops, I am the I am the customs lady. I'm watching for <laughs> illegal imports. And I'm just noticing some contraband has made its way. Now, that's always very funny, you know, but it is contraband. And, and sometimes I don't even know what it is. And I will say to the visitor, what do you think it is? Because I don't know. I just see it bulging in your pocket. And, you know, visitors are so aware, they will say something like, it's shyness. Well, shyness has no place in the world of your partner. It's hesitancy. Well, hesitancy has no, it's trying to be perfect. Well, trying to be perfect has no, yes, he, uh, it, the, the contraband, when it is named, can be just sent back to your world, and then you can show up again in your full essence. And I, as a guide, uh, my job is to have the visitor experience themselves in their full essence presence to their partner. And therefore, I'm the customs lady, you know. And then I'll say to them, tell your partner, I was I was stopped at the border by the customs lady and she saw me importing my usual hesitancy or my usual doubt or my usual whatever it is that I don't even know. They'll know. My usual having to be perfect. And I today... I'm going to be with you just simply in my essence. So I'm coming back. See, that piece is a very important part of learning how to visit. 
And ultimately, I'm just teaching all of this because I know I'm going to take the couple to unravel their survival knot. I'm going to take them to the toughest neighborhood. And unless they've learned all these basic skills of visiting and hosting that are very vulnerable, they can't go to the toughest one. The toughest one is, you know, is the graduate work. Uh, and I'm preparing them for the graduate work of unraveling that survival knot. And uh, once that knot is unraveled, level three learning has happened to its maximum because the unraveling actually changes the brain. It takes a long time. It's a, it's a five-hour process. And in that five hours, the brain is open to what's now called, um, uh, let's see, it's unlocking the emotional brain. I don't, recon, you know what? I can't think of the word right now. It's where something, some way that the brain has been firing dissolves and a new kind of firing occurs because the brain cannot hold two contradictive messages at the same time. It cannot hold, I'm good and I love you together with I'm bad and I don't know how to love. Those two things cannot live at the same time. And once you reach that place, which we do in the unraveling, where you suddenly juxtapose the old lie, the survival coping lie, with the truth of what's occurring, the brain will choose the truth. And then in that choice, there is a shift in the brain that you have to stay long enough with that juxtaposition because there's a window of opportunity there where the brain can really change. And so in the work of unraveling the survival knot, we are also unlocking the emotional brain and allowing for that shift to occur where the truth of the relationship can now live in the brain. Can you give me a taste of, and I mean, you just said it's a five-hour process, so obviously yes. we're not going to do that all here, right. but I'm right. curious about what is a taste of the kinds of questions or um ways of bringing about that sort of shift when you're in the toughest neighborhood? Yeah. Um, let me see. I'm, I'm just going to describe the map to you. Great. So I give the couple a map before we go in there because I want them to know the territory and I want them to ask questions about it because once we enter it, there's going to be no question. We're just doing it. So <laughs> the, the couple names their toughest neighborhood with each other with one word. Neighborhood of lack of trust, neighborhood of abandonment, let's say. And I say to them, you're going to name those neighborhoods. I don't know them yet, but you're going to name them. And then we're going to enter it on one side, and I show them a big rectangle, which is that toughest neighborhood, and we're going to enter it. However, the, the host will discover that you can only say four or five things that are new, and after that, you will repeat yourself. After four or five things you say, 
you will actually repeat yourself. Well, today we are unlocking this. We are unraveling the survival knot. You can't repeat yourself. You're going to have to say something deeper and and more authentic after you repeat yourself. So they, the, the host person will say something deeper and more authentic that they may have even thought but never spoken in the relationship. I say, and then you're going to get to a wonderful new spot called I don't know. Because if you say something deeper and more authentic, you are going to get to I don't know. And when you get to I don't know, it's the best place because I don't know is the corridor to new knowledge. You can only get to new knowledge from I don't know. Every new invention has come from I don't know. When you get to I don't know, I'm going to encourage you to take the first thing that comes to mind. And people, when they get to do that, when they get to go to I don't know and grab something, they go down something called the you. The you theory of Otto Scharmer is that if you go to the bottom of the you, where you have your worst feelings and your worst, your worst experience, the, it's going to turn up and the future is going to call you. Something life-giving, something coherent, something, something that gives you a good direction is going to occur, like the future's calling. And when you turn the you, I call that arriving at main square. When that statement that is life-giving and life-affirming shows up, we stop there and we sit in the main square. And it is a truth about the relationship. It's where that juxtaposition occurs that the couple has never lived, like I just worked with a couple yesterday. The main square was, it's you I want, and it's you I need, and only you. But it started for something awful, but it entered, it, it turned the you into, it's you I want, and it's you. We sit in the main square, and then when that has occurred, the main square, we go into a next rectangle, which is the core reason. Why do I need to say this to you today on December 2nd? Uh, 2016, and we go into the core reason of why we are married, why we are alive, why we have a family. And in this case, she said, because we need to live as models to our children, and we need to be the kind of mother and father. You know, like it goes into the core of why this this life-giving coherent statement must be spoken, not just in the session, but in life, you know. And then we go into another very big rectangle I call the implicit memory. What nourishes that bad neighborhood from our childhood? But we don't go into the usual, um, into the usual narrative. We go into random pictures. That's a process that deserves a, a lecture in itself. We go into random pictures that allow you to have a whole new understanding of your narrative the more archetypical narrative that is really yours. And there we enter with great contradiction because the partner is going to enter the story they discover with a time machine and they're going to go as the grown-up into the childhood of their partner and they're going to say all the things the child needed to hear, spoken to mother, spoken to father, spoken to brother, spoken to grandmother. And so that becomes a very healing and takes the time it takes, and there are many juxtapositions there. The brain is open now to hear these new messages. And then we come to the final 
rectangle, which I call visceral understanding. There's a whole new understanding of everything, of the relationship, of the childhood, of what has been tough, of what can happen. That's the visceral understanding, and we enter that. So that whole process takes about three three hours on one side, and then we do it on the other side. By the time we're done, you have two new people, you know, <laughs> that are there with each other, totally amazed that they've actually entered all these places to come out feeling free for the first time, actually in their life, free for the first time in their life, you know, free together. Wow. So, yeah. I'm uh, I'm feeling moved just uh, hearing your recounting of the map and uh, there's a I feel like there's a secret that you might have and I'm curious to know if it's true um, and part of this comes from a story that I heard you recount in again one of the my preparation interviews that I was watching um, you actually told two separate stories. Both of them involved airports and um, and encountering other people who were totally shut down. And um, and there's this the the secret that I'm wondering about is because in our day to day lives, it it can be so easy for whether it's our partner or some someone at the store or whatever, where something impacts us and we can go into survival mode, like, hello, Wigilia. And, nice. and yeah. one thing that struck me, at least in your recounting, is that you must have some gift or strategy, or maybe it's just well-practiced, for in those moments recognizing that they're happening and then what you do next, which it sounded like was sort of becoming the visitor, like recognizing that this other person isn't going to come into my world, so I have to go into their world. And it kind of harkens back to at the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about looking for that commitment from a couple going into their world. So, yeah, so do you have a, a hint about wearing the mantle of the visitor no, no matter whether you're being intentionally invited or not, but recognizing this is a moment when this is called for and, and marshalling yourself so that you're not hijacked, so that right. you're actually entering that frame of mind, the precursor to the curiosity and leaving yes. everything at the border. Yes, yes. What has helped me a lot is the metaphor of the neighborhoods. Once that revealed itself, Something shifted for me because if I am reactive, it's a neighborhood in my world. It is not me, all of me, but it is a neighborhood and sometimes a tough one. And so knowing that I am an expanding world and a mysterious world and a big world with many, many neighborhoods, but right now there's one that has neon lights coming out of it and it's a tough one recognizing that has been very useful for me because I know that from there, my actions, if I'm in a tough situation, are not going to be productive. But I need to recognize that it is a neighborhood in my world and it right now is really flashing lights. And then I've learned over time, and that really is because of 
enough new neural pathways, enough blood flow, you know, because the new neural pathways are blood flow from the old brain to the frontal lobes, you know, you have more blood flow. So over time, I know I have more blood flow that I can actually say, thank you, neighborhood, for existing in my world, but right now you're not getting my attention because there's somebody on the other side of the bridge in 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 a tough neighborhood and actually suffering in that neighborhood, suffering there. And I am going to cross the bridge. I haven't been invited officially, but what's going to help the situation is if I leave my tough neighborhood right now and actually prepare myself to be in the present. Because in my tough neighborhood, I'm not in the present. I am in my past. And so I the willingness to have the pleasure of stepping into the present, which is so much nicer than the past. So I'm actually giving myself an enormous gift. And so in the present, I cross the bridge, in the present, in the present, in the present. And by the time I get to the other person, I I usually have an intuition. What is the neighborhood they're in? The neighborhood of exhaustion, the neighborhood of feeling less than, the neighborhood of collapse, the neighborhood, uh, you know, there's always, I can feel, and that's maybe the secret, is that I do have a sense of what is the neighborhood they're in, and I don't confuse that neighborhood with who they are, because I can see their precious neighborhoods at the very same time that they are, let's say, in the neighborhood of collapse, I can see their precious neighborhood where they are creative and magnificent, magnificent. So that whole metaphor of the neighborhoods has been an amazing assistance to me in being able then to be with them in the neighborhood they're in. And when I'm there, they feel me there. Even before I say a word, they feel somebody's landed to be there with them. And in the, in the not being alone in that tough neighborhood, there's already a shift. It may not show yet, but it already is there. And then if I say something with a compassionate, warm human voice, the the regulation occurs. And what it is, is limbic regulation, which is that the person has gotten deregulated from just being hijacked into that neighborhood. And suddenly a regulated person arrives, looks into their eyes, and their limbic system begins to resonate with mine. And before you know it, it takes a little while, but that biological event occurs, limbic regulation in which the central nervous systems resonate together and the person feels felt. It's an expression by Daniel Siegel, uh, you know, the, the, the relational neurobiologist, the person feels felt. And the moment they feel felt, their system regulates. And between two regulated systems, something completely new can occur. Mm. Yeah, and that out of that becomes a reciprocity that probably also allows you to be heard. And exactly, out of that comes a reciprocity, yeah. and and a connection because that's what connection is: is reciprocity. It's a give and take, uh, you yeah. know, between two generous souls. Well, speaking of generous souls, I so appreciate your generosity with being here on the show today. Uh- 
and pleasure. it's been such a delight. And I, because we're in uh, Kairos time, I, I'm sure we could actually talk for hours. And uh, right. I, I'm, I'm sure that those of you listening wouldn't mind because this has <laughs> been such an amazing conversation. And yet, Kronos also uh, is calling. <laughs> he's calling. Um, before we go, how can what what could people do to follow up with you? Because I know you train therapists. You also work with individuals and couples. Um, right. So how how can how can our listeners find out more about you and your work? And just to let everyone know, to remind you, uh, we will have links to everything that Haiti mentions in the show notes. You can download them, neilsatin.com slash encounter, or text the word passion to the number 33444 and follow the instructions, and I'll send you a link to the show notes. So all of that being said, Haiti, what, how can people experience your work? I think probably the best is our website, which is Haiti Yumi. That's my husband and I together, uh, H-E-D-Y-Y-U-M-I.com. And in there really is um, a library. Uh, there, uh, there's the possibility of getting the videotapes I've made of my work. Uh, two of them now. One about healing from an affair, connecting again. Uh, the other one is really the two-day. But before I knew how to unravel the survival knot, so it's interesting, I need to make a new one where the unraveling of the survival knot is in there. Uh, and the audio tapes and interviews, the ones that you prepared yourself with. So all that really is on the website and people can go. We are doing two couples workshops, one in Miami in January and one in Monterey, California uh, in March. So that's a wonderful way. Um, right now, I'm looking for enthusiastic organizers. Our office has organized my events for 25 years, but now we're going to have people organize them the way that they do in Europe, in the Middle East, and in South Africa. Uh, we will have it also in the States. So if people do want a training, it, they will have the inspiration and honor of organizing it in their community. And then I'll come and do the training there. Great. And the, the trainings that you do are for therapists who are interested in learning your work? Great. Exactly. For therapists. What I do with couples is the two-day intensive. For couples, it's a three-day or a five-day training in encounter-centered couples therapy. For the therapists. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great. I'm, I'm just going back to when you were describing unraveling the survival knot. And of course, I'm hungry to learn, learn more about that. So maybe I can sit yeah. in on the filming of that tape. Uh -huh. um, and, um, the, and what I love about your process as you described it is the way that it sounds like it is enlisting one's partner in the act of healing in that tough neighborhood. And that has been a metaphor that has really been powerful for me in my relationship and, and something that I am trying to, to help gift the world with is this notion that we can show up for each other in that way. Um, the ways that we can perfectly trigger each other, we can also perfectly help each other. And, and it occurred to me too that there's, um, you know, you're talking about getting a couple to interact in their mutually uh, antagonistic or complementary um, tough neighborhoods. Right. 
And then once the, it also seems like there's this capacity for couples to help each other in the tough neighborhoods that don't necessarily trigger each other, but to show up as a as a visitor when you recognize your partner is in their tough neighborhood. Exactly. And I just want to say about the word healing that I prefer transformation because what I've discovered is that when we go back, it's not wounds we find, we find a heroic story. Each one of us, a hero of an archetypical story. And it's a story of resilience and of courage and of boldness. And so we help transform from a sense of less than to a sense of completeness. And so I have turned the language really from you know, healing wounds to discovering a hero. I love that. And because the hero's journey is what transforms us all. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Ah, well. Ah, <laughs> we did good there. We did, yes. Ah. <laughs> well, thank you, Neil. I really loved being with you. What a pleasure. Yes, it's been such a delight to have you on the show and to share this time with you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Relationship Alive. If you like what you've heard and want to make it easier for other people to find out about us, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have questions or comments or want to continue the conversation, you can always join our Relationship Alive community Facebook group. And for more information about today's episode, visit us online at neilsatin.com slash podcast. Or you can always text the word passion, P-A-S-S-I-O-N, to the number 33444 for more information. Finally, do you have a burning question that you're hoping we can have answered here on Relationship Alive, either for a future or past guest? Let me know and I'll see what I can do. Take care and see you next time.